Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Um, something about, about Easter always feels different, right? Everybody wakes up and it's just, there's a better feeling or something. Here's the thing, I know that Jesus rose from the dead. Every other day of the year, I know he rose from the dead. I know he's alive. But it's like it's closer on Easter Day or something. There's just something about it. Um, some of you, and so 9 o'clock service, man, there were people getting here early. They were so excited. Uh, 10.30, you guys get here right about the right time. I still feel your excitement, though. I really do. Um, but yeah, there's just something about Easter, and we love it. And, and can I say, uh, the reason I think that we love Easter is because we love victory. I think most of us, we like we like winning. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I like winning too much. All right? I like winning a lot. I want to win at everything. Um, but there's some people out there that they say, yeah, I don't really, I'm not all that competitive. Raise your hand if you say you're not all that competitive of a person. I don't see them. I don't, see, I just have a hard time believing you guys. Okay? I'm just saying, I have a hard time believing it. My wife was like one of the only ones that raised her hand in the first service. I believe her because she's, she's like offsetting me. All right? I get that. You might say, you know, when it comes to sports teams and stuff, I just don't really care who wins. Okay. Let's, let's, let's put it into a different context. Let's say one day you fell in love with somebody, or a long time ago when you fell in love with somebody. If that person came to you and said, I'm not in love with you. I love your best friend. You would have been competitive at that moment, right? Like, you don't like losing in that situation. So there's, there's a little bit of all of us that we, in the right things, the things that we care about the most, we want to win. Um, some, of you, some of you maybe go to all lengths to try to get victory. One thing I don't like to do is, I, like, I will go to all lengths, but there's something about cheating that I, I'm like, I don't want to go there. But if I'm playing games with my kids, I, will, I try to get into their heads in a certain way. And here's how I do it. And, and Crystal hates this. I know it. I try to get them to think that I'm going to be so upset and hurt if they win that it takes the edge off of them wanting to beat me. <laughs> now, I know that that's awful. I get it. I, I, I'm a sinner, okay? I get it. But man, I just, what they don't realize is that, that like two seconds after they beat me, they don't realize like I'm over it. Because here's the deal. I made them. Like, I made them into the winner that they now are. And so, really when it comes down to it, their win is my win. They don't even realize that when they win, I'm even more of a winner than they have are a winner now. Like, that's, that's how I take... I have a sickness, and it's not getting any better anytime soon, okay? This is... I get it. And my wife right there is like, this is why. This is why I'm not competitive. Keep our house a little bit sane. Uh... But I'll even take things that, that seem like they're not a victory, and I'll try to make it into a victory. You know, okay, Vikings didn't make the playoffs. Well, that's actually, they're on the good side of this because now they have a high draft pick. Like, that's where, that's where I try to go with things. We want victory. Good Friday didn't feel like a victory to the disciples. But Easter Sunday, that's where the victory had. The, on Good Friday, the, the disciples, their teacher, their friend, their rabbi, their revolutionary had died. And with it, every, every bit of, every hope that they had, it just seemed like it died with Jesus. 
And there became this impossibility in their, in their situation. Like, they just didn't see how things were going to get to where they thought it was going to get to. Now, while there are some of you that are not very competitive in this room, I'm going to state a statement right now. State a statement. Obviously, that's stating a statement. I'm going to say something here that I'm not, I'm not sure everybody's going to like the sound of it at first, but I believe it's true. And that's this. I think Jesus is competitive. I don't think it's competitive in all the bad ways that I'm competitive. Because Jesus isn't a sinner. He's not a sinner. I think Jesus is competitive for you. I think Jesus wants more than anything possible. He wants to win you. He wants it so bad that he was willing to go to death on a cross. And he wants it so bad that he becomes powerful over death and comes alive again. Like That's a dude that wants you. He wants to win you over. And that's what Easter is all about right there. Jesus is all about winning you over. That is the ultimate victory that he wants at Easter. So that's what we're going to celebrate today. That's what, that's what we celebrate is this victory that Jesus has. We get to celebrate that Jesus is alive even though he gave himself over to death. That's a crazy statement if you really think about it. And this victory is the greatest victory ever told. It's the greatest epic story of victory that you're ever going to find. And so we're, we're looking here today at the end of the book of Mark. We've been going through this series in Mark called Epic. And today it's, it's really that. It's about the epic victory of Jesus. And I want to take a look at, actually, this is kind of the night uh, before everything takes place in the, the victory side of things. We're going to rewind just a little bit, kind of go back to Good Friday for just a minute. Looking at Mark chapter 15, verse starting in verse 42. And it says this. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. That's a really important part of this story. He rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So why would I start with this part of the story? Most of the time when you get to Easter, it's like, let's just hear the part where Jesus is alive. That's the part we came for today. But there's something in the story of Joseph of Arimathea that I think is, is something that we should hear today. His character is interesting. Now, what do we know about Joseph of Arimathea? Well, he is of Arimathea. So he's, he's from this little town called Arimathea, which is about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. We also know that he is a member of the council. Now, what is the council? In other parts of the Bible, you might have heard it expressed as the Sanhedrin. They were the governing, the governing body of Jerusalem. But spiritually, judicially, like they were the governing body. And that's what Joseph of Arimathea was about. So he was actually, if you put two and two together, he was on the council, the governing body, that was guilty of sending Jesus to Pilate, and they called for his execution. That's what Joseph of Arimathea was actually a part of. 
Right here in verse 43, Mark writes that Joseph went boldly to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. See, this was, this was in fact a very bold request. Him coming to Pilate and saying, hey, can I have Jesus' body to go and bury him? That was him saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. Remember, he's a part of this group that just had Jesus crucified. So it's a really bold request. In Luke's gospel, it talks about how, how we, we even know maybe before that that Joseph didn't side with this council. It says, now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. So some people probably knew who Joseph was, but not everybody did. And so now he comes boldly and he asks Pilate for Jesus' body. It was a big move. It was a big move because he just saw them crucify Jesus. If he says, I'm a follower of, of that guy that you think is a traitor, what do you think that they might do to him? Same thing. He was, he was very likely to be put in a situation where they might crucify him. And so I think this brings up a question that we can ask ourselves this morning. When it comes to what Joseph risked in going and getting the body, what it, when, even when it comes to what we see that Jesus risked himself. And that's this question. Are you willing to face the risks in associating with Jesus? Are you willing to face the risks in associating with Jesus? Here's the thing. Some of you are like, there's no risk. There's always been a risk in associating yourself with Jesus. Think about the disciples. It happened right away with the disciples. These guys, they, all of them except for John, ran away from Jesus. Every single one of them ran away from Jesus and they fled. Peter denied Jesus three separate times the night that he was on his quote-unquote trial. Uh, nobody was even there to carry Jesus' body away. Think about it. It should have been one of the 12 disciples, or one of the 11 disciples, minus Judas, who came to get Jesus' body so that they could bury it. And instead it was this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, because all the disciples had run away. They were terrified of what people were going to do to them. And frankly, there was just not much time for Jesus' body to be buried. Uh, what we read there is, the Sabbath actually would start at, on Friday evening. At sundown on Friday evening, that's when the Sabbath would start. And then it would go until sundown Saturday evening. Well, the time that Jesus died was probably around 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon. So you're already get, cutting close to where sundown is about to happen. Once sundown hits, a Jewish person wouldn't be allowed to go and take Jesus' body off the cross and bury him because that would be work. And so it's about 4 p.m. probably by the time that this Joseph goes to Pilate and says, hey, can I take Jesus' body down? He was running on short time. Joseph of Arimathea didn't want to see Jesus' body up on the cross for another 24 hours. So he went and he risked association with Jesus. He decided it was more important for me to respect Jesus than to respect my own self and my, and my health. You can probably think of times in your life where it seemed like it was a risk to associate yourself with Jesus in some way. Uh, if you grew up as a Christian kid, uh, there's probably times when you were growing up where you're like, I don't want my friends to know I like Jesus. Like, that feels weird. I remember going to basketball tournaments uh, and I'd, I'd be allowed, my mom and dad were, would let me go to maybe one or two basketball tournaments that actually happened on a Sunday. And so there was a lot of Sundays where I'd have to tell my, my teammates, yeah, I can't come for Sunday's tournament. And I didn't really want to tell them why, that it was for church. Um, 
Risk in association with Jesus can be hard. Or maybe you felt it in your, that voice in your head saying, man, you should go pray for somebody. Or, man, you should maybe even ask them to church. And then that other voice that's a little bit louder started shouting out like, no, I, don't rock the boat. They like you as you are. Don't, don't, don't go too far. Or how about this? Is it a risk to associate with the church? See, there's an ideal of what the church is meant to be. Everybody knows what the ideal of what the church is actually supposed to be. If, if the church follows Jesus, the church should be a place of grace. It should be a place of mercy. It should be a place of community with people. But we know because the church is full of people who are sinners, who, who mess up time and time again, the church is anything but the ideal. But then again, there's a lot of us who we maybe been hurt by church in the past. And even coming in here this morning for some of you, it might have been painful. I just read a, on Facebook a, a friend of mine who who like six years ago walked away from the church because of how he had been hurt and abused by the church. There are people out there who have the worst perception of what the church possibly could be. And I'm telling you, there's somewhere, there's a reality somewhere between the ideal of what the church is and the perception, the worst perception possible. The church will never match the ideal of what we want the church to be. Because we're full of a lot of people who mess up. But the church is also not that worst perception. And ultimately, it is a place where we do everything that we can to point people to Jesus and to the grace that he has for us. Every single one of us need the grace of Jesus. And I think risking association with Jesus and even risking association with his imperfect church, it's going to feel risky at times. But I'm telling you, it's not any more risky than what Joseph of Arimathea went through. It's not any more risky than what Jesus himself did for us. See, the reason that I think Joseph of Arimathea was able to risk association with Jesus was because he had watched Jesus over the course of that night before. Risk association with us. He watched Jesus not stand up for himself and, and tell his truth to, to the Sanhedrin. And he took death on himself. So here's a question I think we should ask ourselves. Is my reputation more important to me than my devotion? Is my reputation more important than my devotion to Jesus? Life is full of a lot of risks. Some of those risks are really unhealthy. Some of those risks are like jumping off of a bridge 30 feet high into a river. Don't do it. That's not, that's an unhealthy risk. Another unhealthy risk, I've done this before, taking a teenage kid and trying to show them how to drive stick shift. Just don't do it. I almost killed my car. Although I did teach my wife how to drive stick shift. So obviously I'm a pretty good teacher. But I will say risking going a step further to associate yourself with Jesus that is always going to be a risk that's going to be worth it. It was worth it for Joseph of Arimathea. Seeing the risks and trusting that Jesus, that following Jesus is still the best option, it is always going to be a victory. Some of you have walked in here today and you, you associate following Jesus as a big risk. And I'm telling you, choose to fight through that and follow the person of Jesus the one who is full of grace, the one who is full of mercy, who is full of love. I don't, care, I don't care what your hurt in the past was. That's not who Jesus is. Risk association with him and you're going to be better. You're going to find victory. All right. So let's get to, we get to the end of Mark chapter 15. And 
Joseph has taken Jesus off and buried him. But we see at the end of, of chapter 15, there's these two women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James. And they were watching what was going on. And so we pick this up, uh, Mark chapter 16. After the Sabbath has occurred, we, now we get to Sunday morning. That's what it says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to, to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the, roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I got to admit, all, all week I was thinking about, like, I'm not a dramatic person. I, like, I don't think I'm, I'd be an actor or something like that. But I was like, how should I, how should I read that part, he is risen? Because that's like the best part of the whole story, right? It's like, he is risen. I just don't have it in me. I think the angel was just like, he's risen, guys. Just, so that's how I read it, okay? Now, now, remember these women, they watched Joseph of Arimathea. They watched him take down the body of Jesus. They watched him wrap him up in linen. Then they saw him place him in this tomb that was carved out of rock. And then they saw something that was really important to the story. The next thing that they saw was they saw Joseph roll this big stone over, this, over the entrance to this cave, to this tomb. Now, it doesn't say in Mark that anybody was helping Joseph do that. But it's almost a sure thing that there's no way that Joseph could have rolled that stone over the entrance by himself. These stones were heavy. Now, there are other parts uh, of the Bible. Um, I think it's in Matthew. Matthew talks about how Joseph was a rich man. So Joseph probably had servants that could come and help him do what he was doing. We also see uh, in another part of Scripture that there was a guy named Nicodemus that was helping, uh, helping Joseph on this night. Joseph couldn't have, have taken this, this huge rock and rolled it himself. It needed a lot of people. Why do I say that? It's because these women were going to that stone by themselves. And this stone was massive. If, if one man or several men couldn't have rolled it on the, their own, these women for sure weren't going to be able to roll the stone on their own. And so they get like halfway, whatever, quite a ways of the way there, to the stone, and all of a sudden, it's like it dawns on them, wait, how are we going to, they're going to anoint Jesus' body. they got to get in that grave. How are we going to do this if we can't even roll the stone away? You ever been there in that place where, like, you got halfway to somewhere or all the way to somewhere, and you realize once you got there, you didn't have what you needed to be able to do what you wanted to be able to do? There was a time I went to, over the course of the shutdown, I went to Woodman's one time, um, well, a lot of times, but this one time in particular, I went there, and I, I park the car and I get out and I'm like, it's that, that sinking feeling in your gut. You feel your back pocket. At least guys, that's what we do. You're like, oh, I don't have my wallet. <laughs> Great. So I'm like, okay, what do I do? Well, I, I go back home. So I drove back home, came back to Woodman's, had my wallet. Then I went and did all my shopping. And it was when I was checking out that I realized I have Apple Pay on my phone. 
I could have used Apple Pay. Oh, man. I was so annoyed. About a month ago, Crystal, she made a lunch. She was making lunch for herself in the morning to go to work, and she put the lunch on the counter, and she left, and about halfway to work, she texts me, and she's like, oh, Kellen, I, I forgot my lunch. Could you, put it, could you put it in the fridge for me? I'm like, yeah, sure, hon. I was like 8 a.m. 2 p.m., I, realized, I saw the lunch on the counter. Um, and I, was, I looked inside, I felt, I'm like, it's cold enough. There's just yogurt and a sandwich. Like, it's probably fine. I put it in there. I meant to tell her about it. I realized this week, I didn't tell She's just finding out about this now. Um, I don't know. I don't know if she got sick or not. I hope not. Sometimes we forget things. You know? We get halfway to somewhere, we're like, oh, I should have thought about that. Well, these women, they're on their way to the tomb. And all of a sudden, they're like, man, what, how are we going to move this rock? I want you to know, notice what they did not do. They didn't say, how are we going to move this rock? And then turn and go home. See, if I'd have had more faith, I'd have walked into Woodman's and just believed I'm going to be able to pay for this somehow. <laughs> that could have been interesting. But it says they looked up and they saw that the tomb was rolled away. That's all they had to do. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So, simple question that I think we can take from, from this little part of the story. What do you do with Jesus when obstacles look impossible? What are you doing right now in your life when obstacles are looking impossible for you? Do you turn around and you run the other way and don't even think to ask Jesus or think that maybe Jesus can perform a miracle? Or do you have the faith to bring your love and devotion to Jesus regardless of how impossible those tasks might look. Maybe you find yourself walking through life and there's just all kinds of these large stone realizations that you get to and you feel like you can't get through it. You're trying to raise a kid who has character. But the large stones are their phone and their friends. I ain't never going to be able to move that out of the way. And it feels impossible. You're trying to be a spouse of character. Financial troubles, the, the everyday stresses, even the stuff with the kids. It seems like this large stone that seems impossible for you to be able to be the person of character that you need to be for your spouse. Maybe you really want to make Jesus a priority in, in your life, but it feels like real life just smacks you in the face every time you try. And it just feels impossible at some, at some point. And that's what the large stones in our lives feel like. It, they do feel impossible. They feel like there's no way I can get through it. But I want you to listen to this. Jesus was dead. He was wrapped up in linen. He was put in a tomb. And then a large stone was rolled in front of that tomb. He was in the dark. He was dead. He wasn't breathing, people. And then he got up. He rolled the stone away himself and he walked out. Like, you don't think that Jesus is able and capable of, of taking care of the large stones of impossibility in your life? Then you haven't looked at the story of Easter. There's power in who Jesus is. In fact, what happened with these women, they thought that they were going to, the, to this place, to this tomb, to anoint Jesus' body. That's what they would do in, in that culture, is they would, they would anoint a body after it was dead, and, and even in the tomb. And that's what they thought they were going there for. Guess what? Jesus changed the game altogether. The things that you think are impossible, they, Jesus wouldn't even have had to have moved the stone. 
Because they didn't even have to go into that grave. And so some of you, you see the impossibilities in your life, and we turn around and we walk the other way, and Jesus is just saying, just keep on walking, keep on walking. I'm going to change the game if I have to, but I'm going to make it possible for you. The things that are going on with your family, Jesus is just saying, just, just keep looking ahead, keep walking. I'll change the game if I have to, because I am able to bring life out of death. I can do whatever you need me to do. Acknowledging obstacles, yet having the faith that Jesus provides will always lead to victories that are otherwise impossible. Jesus changes the game for us. It's my favorite thing about Easter. If he can change physical death and spiritual death into life, what are the impossibilities in your life that, he, that you need to start trusting Jesus that he can change for you? Now before I go, there's one other part of this passage that I want us to highlight this morning. And this is, this is something that, I'll be honest with you, I never, really had, I never really had looked at this. We were talking in our teaching team meeting, and uh, one of our pastors, David Meeting, brought this up, and I just thought it was a really clever uh, insight into this passage. Looking at verse, 16, uh, verse 7 of Mark 16, the angel said to, the, to these ladies, Go, tell Jesus' disciples and tell Peter, Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you're going to see him just as he told you. Now what I want you to do is I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples for a minute. Almost every single one of these guys had failed Jesus hardcore in the darkest time of Jesus' life. They couldn't stay awake when Jesus asked them to pray with them in the Garden of Gethsemane. We talked about that last week. Uh, when he was arrested, you know it's the moment that Jesus was arrested? The disciples of Jesus acted like a bunch of high school kids who were into mischief and they all of a sudden saw some police flashing lights. Like those guys just took off. Every single one of them. They failed Jesus. We talked about it. Peter denied Jesus three times. They wouldn't testify on Jesus' behalf when he was standing in front of this council. Like we also talked about, they didn't even come for Jesus' body once he had died. And yet here, these women are told by an angel to go and to tell these same disciples something that they were supposed to do. And they were, they were supposed to be told, go to Galilee, where Jesus said that he would meet you. Why go to Galilee? What is so special about Galilee that that's the place that Jesus wants to meet them? You see, Galilee was the place where Jesus started his ministry. Galilee was the place where Jesus called most of these guys into a relationship with him. These same guys who, I'm telling you, if, if, they were, if, if I was one of the disciples, after all this stuff with Jesus happened and I failed Jesus, you know what was going to be the first thing that I was going to do? I was going to go back to my hometown and I was going to wish that all this stuff hadn't even happened. I wish I hadn't even met Jesus because I failed so miserably. I just want to go back to my old life and be the old person that I used to be. Just let me be that. They'd absolutely failed Jesus, and Jesus is telling them to go back to that place called Galilee. Now, here's a really hard truth, I think, coupled with a life-giving truth that's important to see in this passage. Satan always wants to take you back to your greatest sin, but Jesus wants to take you back to the place where he delivered you from your sin. If these guys weren't careful, they were going to go back and they were going to go back to their old lives. Jesus had died. They didn't think that Jesus was alive yet. They thought that they, that they were just utter failures. They were going to go back to their old life. 
But Jesus wanted them to, to meet him at this place where he had first met them so that he could remind them that he had called them into relationship. Ephesians 2 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. I want you to think about this morning, when your faith has failed you, when you have taken things into your own hands, when you know that you have messed up, have you ever needed to hear the message that Jesus told these guys right here? Jesus is willing to meet you at Galilee where he told you about. Jesus is willing to meet you at the place where he first told you that he wanted you to follow him. See, he's calling you to this place, not the place of failure. He's calling you back to the place where you can remember just how intense his love actually is for you. So maybe this morning some of you in worshiping, you guys can come up here. I'm, I'm almost done this morning. Um, maybe some of you need Jesus to meet you at your Galilee. Some of you are in here and you're like, man, I've, I've messed up my life more than I can even admit. I, I, just don't, I don't even know why Jesus would really be all that into me at this point. I'm telling you, I think Jesus wants to remind every single one of us that all he wants us to do is follow him. doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to be I'll tell you what he definitely doesn't want us to do. He doesn't want us to go back to the person that we once were. We were once dead in our transgressions, but we are now made alive in Christ Jesus. I want you to listen to what, this is going to be up on the screen here. But it says, living in the resurrection power of new life, instead of in the death of your old sin, is an everyday victory, and it happens one day at a time. You have to let Jesus always bring you back to the place where he first told you that he loved you. And ultimately, the place that he first told us that he loved us, the place was the cross. The cross is the place. If you ever have to figure out, okay, is Jesus really calling me into a relationship with him? Just look at the cross. The place where he took on your sin and where he took death on for you so that you wouldn't have to take death on for yourself. But then we've got the grave, and that's the thing that we're looking at today. The grave is the place where Jesus proved he has power for your life. You don't have to live in a place where there's this void of power. The grave is the place where Jesus makes miracles a reality. The grave is where Jesus made resurrection happen. And that same resurrection that happened for Jesus when he walked out of the grave, it can happen in your life today. We're going to be singing a song in just a minute here that most of us know really well, Graves into Gardens. I love the bridge, and it talks exactly about this thing, that, that Jesus takes us. We could be living in graves, and he makes them into gardens. Jesus was once dead, and he came back to life. Here's a question. Is the miracle of the resurrection an everyday experience in your life? Are you seeing miracles of, of resurrection in life in your life every single day? If you are living in utter defeat, if you are living in a place where like, you just don't feel like there's anything going, then the Easter story is exactly the story that you need to hear. Because the Easter story is the story for us that we, don't, we aren't subject to death any longer. We know that we have a, a Savior who has risen from the dead. Jesus wants you to experience this kind of victories today and I think every day.
Real epic victory comes only when I'm willing and able to connect myself to Jesus. Just like Joseph of Arimathea, he wasn't worried about connecting himself to Jesus. He did it, and there was victory. Real epic victory comes when I let Jesus guide me through the otherwise impossible situations. Those women walking to the grave that morning, they didn't look back when they realized that they couldn't move the stone. They looked ahead. Jesus took care of it. Real epic victory comes when I allow the power of Christ's resurrection to bring life to me today. I know that there's probably a lot of people in here who, for whatever course of whatever reason, you've been feeling defeated lately. We don't live in our death. We don't live in the old ways of our transgressions. Christ rose from the dead so that we can live new and we can live free. And I'm telling you, he wants to give you that newness today. He wants to give you that freedom. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.